Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Carrie Gino continues our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark. Today, looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 56. And now, here's Carrie. I have a note here. And it says, for those of you who remember the last time I spoke on April the 2nd, I misplaced a page in my notes. (laughs) Well, the good news is I found it. The bad news is I found it too late. Our brother and dear friend, Phil, has come to my rescue so that this will never happen again. He dug deep into his engineer training and proceeded to define the problem. The engineering design process starts when you ask the following questions about problems that you observe. What is the problem or need? Who has the problem or need? Why is it important to solve? And he came up with this solution, a binder. Thank you, Phil. Now we'll see if this modern technology really works. Let's open in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we begin today by giving you thanks, because your love endures forever and it never fails. Though there are many ways in which we have failed, we have not surpassed your wonderful love, mercy, and grace. We thank you for revealing yourself through your word. And as we study your gospel, we pray that we hear your voice. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work, opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word. May we be transformed into your likeness, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The following may not have anything to do with our scripture this morning, but then again it's very enlightening. A little girl asked her mummy, where humans came from. And her mummy replied, God created Adam and Eve, and they had children. The little girl asked her daddy where humans came from. Her daddy replied, humans evolved from monkeys. The confused little girl asked her mummy why there were two different answers to her question. And her mother replied, that's simple. I told you about my side of the family, and your dad told you about his. Reading from the New International Version, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages 
and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. The feeding of the five thousand is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. When Jesus' tired but excited disciples returned from their first preaching mission, Jesus follows his pattern of inviting them to take a boat and to sail to a distant and deserted shore for reporting and resting. His plans are frustrated. Hordes of people, numbering in the thousands, run along the shore and beat the boat to the landing. Personal privacy, which Jesus cherishes for times of spiritual renewal and teaching seminars, is now impossible. He belongs to the public, and crowds will follow follow him wherever he goes. Jesus' encounter with the masses is a study in itself. Compassion arises within him as he sees the same signs in the crowd that he has often seen in a flock of sheep which has lost its shepherd. Jesus understands the hungers and the hazards of a crowd. With the compassion of a shepherd, he responds to them. Without a leader, a crowd is like a tumbleweed, twisting and turning in different directions, depending on the gusts of wind. Imagine thousands of people gathering on the shore as Jesus and his disciples leave in a boat. Suddenly, someone in a crowd starts to run. Others follow, and soon thousands are stampeding along the shore. Masses have a hunger for a leader to give them direction. With just a word from an evil shepherd, more than 900 members of the Jonestown cult will drink cyanide. The masses can be turned by a leader, a voice, or a protector to the use of good or evil. Israel's religious leaders, sometimes called shepherds, had failed the people by not providing them with true spiritual leadership. Jesus was a true shepherd because he had compassion for the people. Out of compassion, Jesus chooses to help the masses of people who crowd around him on the shores of Galilee. Mark informs us that he helps the masses by teaching them, organizing them, feeding them, and bringing them back into a right relationship with God. He becomes their leader, their voice, and their protector. But as we shall see in later chapters, 
not without leaving them free to decide whether they believe that he is the Messiah or just a miracle worker who serves a good meal. Jesus teaches them many things. He teaches them many things in order to build on their enthusiasm the foundations of truth that will sustain them when feelings plunge and he is not physically present. Jesus organizes them. Mark gives us a unique and perspective insight into the setting when we read, Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Nothing can be accomplished with crowds until they are organized. Where resources are limited, organization makes a difference. Food can be distributed fairly among the groups. And within the groups, no one will be neglected. Jesus speaks for the crowd. The disciples come to Jesus, protesting the stupidity of a crowd that ran far away from home without anything to eat. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat, they recommend. But Jesus, with the same compassion that spent the day teaching the masses, answers, you give them something to eat. He becomes the voice of the crowd. The dialogue that follows between Jesus and his disciples is well known. The disciples, on an appeal to the crowd, produce only five loaves of bread and two fish. And using what he has, Jesus takes the food and becomes the voice of the crowd once again, this time in a prayer of thanksgiving that the masses will never forget. He thanks God for the pittance of food that will never go around. How many times have the people in the crowd been in the same situation at home? Never again will they sit down at their humble tables without remembering that Jesus gave thanks in similar circumstances. Jesus feeds them. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is written in the simple sentence, they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, you feed them. As people come to us with their needs, let us remember Jesus' words. You feed them. God does provide miracles. In the feeding of the 5,000, we see the compassion of Jesus from another perspective, and we learn something about leading. Speaking for and protecting the masses, we're always like sheep without a shepherd. Reading verses 45 to 52. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, 
Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Reading between the lines, we could say that the feeding of the 5,000 was a failure. Neither the crowd nor the disciples got the message that Jesus intended to convey. He hoped that the crowd, as recipients of the miracle, would join him in thanking God. But according to John's account of the same miracle in his gospel, they rushed to make Jesus king. He intended that his disciples, as participants in the miracle, would take a giant step towards the recognition that he is the Christ. Instead, one gets the impression that the disciples, each one with a basket of food, stood flat-footed and complained, so what are we supposed to do with all these leftovers? With an open show of disappointment, Jesus sends both groups away. The disciples to the other side of the lake, the crowd back to their homes. Jesus needs to regain his perspective and restore his patience all alone in the presence of his Father. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 16 tells us, Because he lives in constant communication with the Father, Jesus' consistent prayer life provided a living example for his disciples and enabled him to identify with our humanity. And 1 Timothy chapter 5.17 tells us, He demonstrated what it means to live in complete harmony with the Father's will and to pray continually. Sometimes God lets us come to the end of our human resources in order to get our attention. Mark's account of the miracle at sea carries the implication that Jesus sees the disciples straining against the wind when he looks up from prayer at nighttime. He sees that the disciples have made no progress. Their strength is gone, their nerves are raw, and their minds are filled with fear. Perhaps just one more angry wave will swamp the boat. Desperate disciples need a dramatic event, not just to save them from drowning, but to shock them, wide awake into the reality of the supernatural. Jesus has decided that the time has come. Stepping out on the water and walking into the wind, he moves towards them. Mark says he intended to go past them. According to Mark, Jesus didn't seem to have been planning on getting into the boat. Both John and Matthew do not include this detail in their accounts. Presumably, Matthew had access to Mark's text and he simplified the story. So was Mark suggesting that Jesus was unconcerned for the disciples' struggles, struggles, dissatisfied with their recent behavior, there's something more being communicated here. Reading many commentaries, I found almost as many different interpretations as to why Mark puts it, Jesus intended to go past them. Since Mark doesn't say why, we can only make educated assumptions. But it doesn't mean we're right. The one I chose is this. 
He meant to pass by them, not so that they would fail to see him, in which case he would have stayed further away from them, but so that they would see him pass by walking on the water, thus giving visible evidence of his deity and giving a glimpse of his glory, and thus answering the question they asked after he stilled the sea in Mark chapter 4:41, Who then is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The passage echoes the incident where God passed before Moses. The word, forgive me if I don't pronounce it right, in Greek, parherkomai, used here to pass by, occurs in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And again in Exodus chapter 33, verse 22, When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And again in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The disciples almost miss Jesus because they're paralyzed by fear and preoccupied with survival. Then they notice him and they think it's a ghost. When a strong and confident voice speaks through the howling wind, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus comes to our most desperate moments the same way. If we know that he is personally with us, in the middle of the storm, the stilling of the sea and the stopping of the winds are secondary. In trying to explain this miracle, Mark can hardly contain himself. He enters into the feelings of the disciples so fully that he strains at the limits of his vocabulary. And as the New King James puts it, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Jesus usually limited himself to the physical constraints of this world. Yet he performed many miracles for various purposes. Walking on the water demonstrated Jesus' power over nature. Furthermore, this incident strengthened the disciples' trust in Jesus at a time when they were probably disappointed and confused by his earlier refusal to be made king as the Gospel of John states in chapter 6, verse 14 to 15. Jesus' miracles, especially the feeding of the 5,000, was intended to reveal to his disciples Jesus' identity as the Messiah and the Son of God. Yet when Jesus walks on the water and calms the sea, they showed fear rather than understanding. For they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Because of fear, pride, and self-centeredness, the disciples were in danger of the same kind of unbelief and rejection that characterizes the religious leaders. Yet never again can the disciples put the miracles of Jesus into a margin of the natural and the supernatural. The man who walks on water is God 
himself. Reading verses 53 to 56. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. The Greek word for heals, healed means rescued and preserved. And in, he, in the healing context, this describes deliverance from suffering and is associated with divine inter- intervention, usually in life-threatening situations, illnesses, and injuries. In further testimony to the fact that Jesus has become public property, the moment he steps ashore, he is recognized. In no time at all, the whole region knows that Jesus has come to their land. And like a magnet then, he draws the sick to him. Out of all the qualities of Jesus' ministry, preaching, teaching, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, feeding the multitudes, the people identify him first as a healer. At times, Jesus must have been disappointed to think that they missed the substance of the truth. But then again, he himself has chosen to be a servant. David L. McKenna writes, What is the reputation of Christ's church today? Of all the functions of the church, what is its primary identification? When I am stranded in a strange city for a weekend, I make it a practice to read the Saturday church ads. My intention is to scout the reputation of churches as they post their slogans and announce their sermon titles. Social concerns dominate the topics of the so-called liberal churches, and salvation sermons mark the conservatives. Fundamentalists, usually independent churches, popularize prophecy, and pageants are popular. Someplace in between are the community churches with a heavy emphasis upon touch-feely topics and relational seminars. I wonder where the servant churches are. Jesus' ministry of healing is unique. First, and all who touched him were healed. Healing is not selective. Jesus does not sort out the easy diseases and respond to the desirable people. Egalitarians of our generation who believe in the principle that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities will be hard-pressed to criticize Jesus for sexual, racial, age, or doctrine bias. Second, all who touched him were healed. Some show of faith and determination is required for those who are sick. God does not force healing on anyone, nor does he reward those that play games. The availability of his presence and the determination of their touch are complementary to the healing process. Many people of that time, both Jews and Gentiles, 
believed that the power of a holy man, such as Jesus, would transfer into whatever he touched. As in the case of the hemorrhaging woman in Mark chapter 5, verse 25 to 34, Jesus affirms that only through faith brought healing, not contact with his clothes. Third, and all who touched him were healed. In this context, being healed carries two connotations. One is freedom from the disease that has enslaved the person, and the other is the wholeness that comes to the person who touches Christ. These same criteria can be applied to our witness of Christians today. Are the people who touch our lives set free and made whole? Unfortunately, too often the opposite happens. We add to their chains and increase their burdens. What a difference it would make if we constantly checked our Christian witness against Jesus' example of setting people free and making them whole. Mark has shown us that Jesus' compassion overrules all of the arguments against ministering to thankless crowds, hardened disciples, and selfish sick people. These are the same people who we block out with a wave of a hand or shake the dust off our shoes and then we walk away from. The ministry of compassion is the ministry of Christians who follow Jesus. Mark's Gospel points to Jesus and bids us to follow. In his book, The Gospel in Ten Words, Dr. Paul Ellis writes, When Jesus came to earth, he shocked everyone by refusing to play the acceptance game. In those days, there were rules that disqualified people from approaching God on the basis of behavior, gender, culture, and health. For instance, if you were a sinful foreign woman with leprosy, you were about as far from God as it was possible to get. Then Jesus showed up and made a beeline for sinners, foreigners, women, and lepers. It's almost as if his intent was to show that grace is superior to the law. Think about that. The law excludes, but grace includes. The law rejects, but grace accepts. The law draws lines between us and them, but grace tears down dividing walls. It's law or grace. Which do you prefer? Jesus received everyone who came to him. Tax collectors, prostitutes, Romans, Samaritans, the mentally unstable, the physically handicapped, and children. He even had dinner with the odd Pharisee or two. Imagine that. Even intolerant religious wingnuts were accepted by Jesus. Jesus accepted the unacceptable and loved the unlovable to reveal his Father's gracious heart of acceptance. God is not willing that any should perish. His desire is to have every single one of his lost children come home. Evangelists talk a lot about receiving Jesus. But the good news begins with the announcement that Jesus receives you. It is his acceptance of you that makes a difference. In the eyes of the law, you were disqualified by sin. But in the eyes of the Father, you have been qualified by grace. You were far away, but in in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near 
You were unacceptable, but He has made you accepted and beloved. How did this happen? The moment you opened the door of your heart to Jesus, the favor and acceptance of heaven came flooding into your life. When the sun moved in, you instantly became acceptable and pleasing to the Father. So what pleases the Lord? It is faith in Jesus. It is resting in His finished work, even as the world tries to seduce you back to the dog-eat culture of competition. It is sitting at His feet, even as the Marthas of ministry pressure, pressure you into doing your part. It is receiving others with the same grace and favor that Jesus Christ received you. And as Mark Max Lucado puts it, in essence, Christianity is nothing more, nothing less than a desire and an effort to see Jesus. That's all it is. We're trying to catch a glimpse of a man, not a program, not a plan, not a system, not a doctrine. We're trying to see a man who calls himself the Son of God. Our God is not distant. He is not so far above us that he can't see and understand our problems. Jesus isn't a God who stayed on the mountaintop. He's a Savior who came down and lived and worked with the people. Everywhere he went, the crowds followed, drawn together by the magnet that was and is the Savior. The life of Jesus Christ is a message of hope, a message of mercy, a message of life in a dark world. So let us continue to make a commitment that our mission in life is to follow Jesus in love and to love one another. And may we reflect the life of Jesus to all those we know and to all those we meet. And as the song says, so let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and the wind still know his name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just again thank you for this opportunity to gather. We thank you for your love and your grace. Father, we do pray that nobody would leave here without Jesus. And Father, we pray that you just strengthen us to go and be his hands and feet and to spread the good news of Jesus to a hurrying world around us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.